What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. That's how oh, she's he's got dropped it. Oh, he's dropped it. I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball. And the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. Hey, great cricket. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Australia. We should have known this would happen. We should have known this was always going to happen. You awake this morning to news that England are on the brink of World Cup exit after their third defeat of the tournament in seven games. The greatest team to have ever entered a tournament, Australia, won overnight by 65 runs against an absolutely pathetic England side. English cricketers died so many times that it's hard to keep up, but this might be the biggest fuck-up since, well, the last one. On today's show, we're announcing our guests for the live shows. Barney Rone joins the podcast to Talk England and hopefully get his views on Paul Pogba and possibly Max Rushton's phone number as well. Hashtag AskTGC tells us what England really want. My name is Ian Higgins, and I'm joined by Sam Perry in Melbourne. And Pez, England were absolutely dreadful with the ball. Okay, a couple of things. <laughs> you guys, and good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. listeners, uh, or evening, afternoon, wherever you are around the globe. It's probably evening or the morning, judging by your analytics. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay, it's a long summer. All right, let me just get that out there first. It's a long summer, and I don't mean that as a qualifier for what's about to come. Um, there's a lot of matches, there's a lot of days played between Australia and England coming up. So to go the early crow mm-hmm. would be a mistake. But they say, he goes, that you know, the best predictor of future performance is past performance. Mm-hmm. And there's a paradox for England at the moment mm-hmm. because their past performance when wearing the England shirt over the last four years has been, well, unparalleled in its excellence all over the globe. And yet... Past performances from England in World Cup shirts have been abject. And aura and intangibility seems to be trumping statistics in this World Cup. 
And frankly, anything that takes me back to 1999, I'm going to jump on board. If that means egg on my face for saying, hey, guys, be aware that England have won 70% of their matches. Be aware that they're knocking on the door of 400. Be aware that 60 or 40 rocks beats two, two guys scoring run of ball hundreds. Well, I'm happy to smash that egg all over my face. Because apparently it's 1999 again. Ricky Ponting's on the balcony. Cricket Australia have instituted the greatest wellness program or wellness initiative since Warren had the ball. Um, and, and I'm on the train while it's here. I'm on the train. Sam Perry, are you saying choo-choo, motherfucker? Um, may I... What is happening? And not, happening? not only did Australia play really well, and they did, they played really well. England was so bad. Like, how do you win the toss and then bowl, as, you know, Owen, Mo- Owen Morgan rightly did, and then waste the new ball like that? Can they fucking pitch it up? I'm like, I, like, I'm so happy that Australia have won, but I'm also angry that England didn't play the way that I want them to play. <laughs> I just... I, I, Jofra Archer has not bowled very well this tournament. Like, this, he, he did not bowl well yesterday. Um, and there's been a couple of other instances where he hasn't blown away teams as we thought he might, or even have the impacts that we thought that he might. I think Mark Wood is, has been their best bowler this tournament. Um, and that, I think that, again, proved rightly so yesterday. Uh, I thought Wokes bowled okay as well. But, but for Australia to get 285 on that wicket, I mean, the commentators were saying with about 10, 15 overs to go, saying, like, Australia have really stuffed this up, you know, like they were, they were looking at 331 stage. That wicket was never a 280 wicket. Ever. I mean, you, you, you bowl well with a new ball there, and Australia's all out for 130, 140. I mean, I think I thought par was probably about two, two, 220. It was probably par, 230, three par. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, England going into this tournament trying to hit 500. Fuck, can you get to 220 a couple of times first, lads? Uh, the batting's all over the place. Ben Stokes batted superbly yesterday. Uh, Australia, Australia tumble overnight, uh, 89. Uh, backing up some runs he scored in the previous match as well. The rest of the batting is falling apart, though. Jason Roy looks a huge miss. It's ju- it's just all falling apart, Pezza. And now they've got to play India. The other teams are probably going to catch up to them uh, in the next game. Then it's all going to come down to the last game. You know, the, I was reading some reports overnight that, you know, England still could win the World Cup, and they still could, absolutely. But I remember having a conversation with, uh, with you and Dave before the tournament saying, like, there's been some chat about this team, this England team being, you know, as good as the great Australian teams. Fuck that. Oh, my God, they are folding, Pez. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where were they yesterday? Because the, I think the entire operation was sloppy. Yep. It was sloppy from the outset. Mm-hmm. There were some Crickviz stats suggesting that they were merely unlucky with the ball. Um, you know, they weren't. No. Uh, that, and and you've, you've covered that. Uh, that you know, on that wicket, they conceded 123 runs in 23 overs before taking their first wicket. Yep. Uh, watching Australia get to that total on a really sporting wicket, uh, I mean, I was going to say it brought back memories, but I have no memories of Australia ever being able to do that. No, not in England. I mean, not being able to expose Australia on bad wickets. Uh, God, I mean, they've been 
Australia's been abject on bad wickets for a decade. Mm. Uh, and we feel that, I mean, we were texting each other just with Australia none for 50 going, this feels like a, you know, one for 60 all out 97 mm. <laughs> kind, of a, mm. kind of day, but it wasn't. Mm. They were sloppy with the ball there uh, and lacked plans. They were sloppy in the field. There was overthrows. There was, uh, there was misfields, easy misfields. There was a strange silence around Lords, so that might have just been a class factor. I did enjoy a lot of the... Uh, I did enjoy... I don't mean that in a bad way, <laughs> necessarily, but no. I, I did enjoy like the endless shots to the VIP rooms. Oh. Stephen Fry, Ed Sheeran, yes. Matt Bellamy from Muse. Yes. Stuart brought up there on the waters, no doubt sparkling waters on some kind of uh, sponsor arrangement. I yeah. like, I wonder what that conversation's worth. <laughs> Otherwise, but anyway, I digress. And they kind of, they kind of, you know, it was funny because a lot of the conversation later in Australia's innings became about Australia's limitations with the bat. What's mm. the best position for Kawadra if there's one at all? Where should Smith be batting? Why can't, you know, Stoinis fail again? Glenn Maxwell, what are the conditions that he needs to succeed in? Because uh, it's, you know, it's a really narrow set. <laughs> It would appear. I mean, with Glenn Maxwell, like, he comes out with 90 balls to go and you sort of get the feeling now, oh, that's too many balls. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. But anyway, um, but maybe that was the part of the match that actually played, you know, according to the script. England bowled a little bit better. Australia struggled a little bit, but they already had too much on the board. And, uh, yeah, I mean, once Berendorf went through Vince, oh, and what a beautiful ball it was. Mm. Oh, I was pretty much downhill from there, mate. But I don't know. I, what what has happened? What has happened to England? Is somebody is somebody got photos? Is somebody <laughs> having sex with somebody else's wife? Well, I mean, this is the kind of like it, it's the kind of drop off that you can only put down to something happening behind the scenes. Unless by behind the scenes we mean of just a vulnerable national culture at tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> mate, it it comes back to the same thing we spoke about last time in the loss which is a funny thing that I didn't think we'd be saying beginning of this World Cup like the weather hasn't helped them um, because they've been playing on wickets which bring the bowlers into it which just hasn't been the case over the last few years I mean mean, at least we know that England's weather can be up and down they've developed a game for flat tracks Mm. not necessarily sun but you know flat, flat track bullies becoming a cliche with England but like is is that exposing a weakness in what they you know what they've developed? I mean, we know that England's like the conditions can be sporting. So why develop a four hundred only side that can't kind of don't have it don't have different gears? I know, mate. It's weird, but the thing is, it's worked. You know, and it's worked up to the point where they chased like three fifty seventeen times against Pakistan, literally True. the tournament before the World Cup started. So and like Pakistan beat them, and then Pakistan beat them. <laughs> And then Sri Lanka, who, as Mark Butcher said in the podcast on the weekend, has been the worst team that he's seen for the last year. Couldn't agree more with with my mate Butch. Um, Australia are now the greatest team that's ever played World Cup cricket um, after losing. Wasn't that a stage where we lost like 23 out of 25 games or something? Now now we've won like 11 out of 12. You mean the greatest in relation to all the other Australian World Cup teams, and I would agree. This, Um, This is the greatest iteration. (laughs) <laughs> I just spent the entirety of the, the, the you know, foundation of the competition since the 70s, um, including the great West Indian teams as well. Um, I, I, it's, it's, I guess we should talk about the actual game itself rather than just the overall, overall 
uh, implications and the factors surrounding this. Um, Finch, just before we do here, guys, like, okay. firstly, how good is context in cricket? So I mean, good, how mate. much does these, like, uh, like going into this match, you thought Australia can really strike a blow here against England. Yeah. You know, they, they can really make life difficult for them, and they've mm-hmm. done that, you know, by playing a great game. And you just cannot get that kind of narrative arc going into a bilateral match. And what does it mean? Like, I mean, these, these World Cup matches, they also kind of expose bilateral matches for the kind of exhibition yeah. Uh, sort of style that they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's not a, that's not a revelation, but God, it's great to watch cricket that has serious implications that strike at the heart of the vulnerability of a national culture when it's so not your good, own country. Mate. So good, mate. And it's good when your team wins to decimate another team's entire um, sporting fabric as well. That also helps, mate. I completely agree. Uh, and like you think of even like Long the T Twenty World Cups and stuff, it still feels exhibitiony. Um, the, the, even though that has context as well, the fifty over stuff, you know, in a World Cup sense, is just fantastic. But the rest of the time, it's um, you know, kind of junk. Well, it's the rise of like the rise, the the resurrection of like there being nowhere to hide with the length of fifty over cricket. Because yes. like, one thing you can say about the England uh, side is that they're they're the team that's trying to bridge the T Twenty gap to yeah. fifty over cricket, and it's been great to watch. Yeah. You know, to the point where we're now kind of. You know, where the hipster journos like myself are discarding, you know, previous World Cup or tournament play or DNA or anything like that or pressure and just going, no, 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 we're just talking raw X's and O's now. England batted this strike rate, whatever, doesn't matter who gets it or whatever, you know, but that's wrong. Ponting on the balcony and history is more important. Okay, mate. Let's let's um let's talk about the Australian Bathinings. Uh, Aaron Finch scored his seventh hundred against England. Um, funny statistic uh, showing up because he got a, he got his, he got his hundred obviously overnight, and then got out the next ball. Uh, Joffrey Archer bounced him, caught it fine leg, and like the conversation then was like. You know, it's a bit of a problem. Aaron Finch, when he scores 100 against England, like, he doesn't seem to go on. And he's they, they showed a stat, and, like, his five most recent hundreds against England, just say that sentence again, his five most recent hundreds against England. He's got seven overall, five most recent ones. So it was all out between 100 and 108. Not really a problem, is it? I mean, like, I sort of see the point. It's just, like, you know, you get to 100, then you, then you can explode. I'm going to take my opening bats and scoring 100 against England seven times, uh, though. So that's um, – he's amazing. Uh, pretty sure he's leading run score at the, at the moment. And then Warner at the top as well. He'll be right up there in the run scoring charts as well. He might be third or even second. Um, he went past 500 uh, runs for this World Cup tournament. Incredible. They put on 123. This opening partnership has failed once, and that was against the West Indies. The rest of the time, I think their lowest uh, lowest opening partnership is in the low 50s. Went past 100 again, 123. I mean, it's... It's an unbelievable foundation, um, which which the the conversation then seems to be yeah. But then who bats three? Yeah, where does Kawaja fit in? It's a funny problem to have. It is a funny problem to have. I, I think that you've kind of, uh, in one way, explained why it's been difficult for Kawaja in this World Cup, mm. because I, I think Kawaja's inclusion at three legislates for who doesn't legislate for. Uh, Warner and Finch put him yeah. on 120 every Absolutely. time they bat. Yeah. It means he comes in after 25 overs and there's not really a spot for him anymore. I mm-hmm. mean, Kawaja's role is pretty much to be a secondary opener 
if somebody mm. comes out and to keep it ticking over. That's right. You know, we yeah. know his limitations. He can go at five and over. You know, sort of. He can strike at about eighty, yeah. you know, eighty-five to ninety. Uh, and when he comes in after twenty-five overs, Smith's Smith's a better number three than he, I mean, Smith's a better number three than him at any point in the match. But if you're going to have him in the side, he's really valuable at the start. And then as the game goes on, he doesn't have much to offer. And then the question is, well, why don't you just bump Smith up? It's like, well, there's no spot for Quadra after that. Yeah. There's a better four than him, five, six, seven, even probably coming today. Maybe not. Uh, so, you know, Smith, like Warner and Finch will fail at some point and Quadra mm. hopefully will get a chance to actually play his game. But, mm. you know, it's not his fault. It's a failure of selection. It's a failure of bringing somebody into the side that might be a little bit more flexible. We'll probably talk about Matt Wade later. <laughs> You know, who, who I think would slot beautifully into that side. Well, uh, though I doubt he will. I mean, let's let's talk, let's talk about let's talk about Wade now, mate. I mean, if, yeah. for those who don't know, probably the English people wouldn't wouldn't know that Wade scored. He's in the Australian eight tour, and he's scored a couple of blistering hundreds, real quick hundreds, <laughs> um, against uh, some county attacks, which mean as much as he wanted to mean, I suppose. But he was in just an incredible form all last summer. Australian domestic player of the year, and uh, the summer just gone, golden summer. Doesn't necessarily want to wiki keep. Um, I think Carey's done a fantastic job. He's probably his second or third best player in the team at the moment. Carey just doing a fantastic job, uh, especially down the order batting at seven. But gloves, gloves are good as well. Wade in the team, or at least in the squad, is an interesting one um, because Kawaja doesn't fit when he comes in. You know, anything like twenty overs and later, it doesn't. It doesn't really work. I like yeah, the idea he, he, of Wade, but then. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, Australia. Australia have won every game except for one game in this tournament. Oh, yeah, they won't. They won't do it. Kawaja's mm. insurance. Yeah, you know that, that's that's what he is. He's just a second. He's a secondary opener if they lose an early one, and they probably totally. will lose an early one. And you know, yeah. it's not cost them so far, really, because the tournament scores have been low. Two eighty's mm. been good. They've been able to park those scores, which mm. is the the part of the verb now. Park to park any score, mate. Um, the elite level I just want to associate myself with that but uh, yeah it, so it's, it's not that big a problem but you can see it toward the back end when they're not able to really take off yeah but you know the, the, the script's been rewritten the rule book's been torn up you know this like hitting 150 off the last 10 overs yeah it doesn't seem to be that necessary anymore I was mean, just, just thinking about how, how England bowled to, especially the top of the innings. I think they got it right towards the end, it's even to the point where they, how Cummins got out. Just, it was just a leg cutter from Wokes, and he was caught behind. And at that point, I was thinking, like, Australia's already got too many here. I mean, if you're, using, if you're doing that with an old ball where guys are trying to score quickly That's and he right. just nicked him off genuinely in the front foot. playing and missing, mate, like the 44th, 45th. Exactly, over. exactly. I don't know how international cricketers don't pick that up. Surely, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but, like... England bowl. I said this to you on a text last night, so I'm just going to repeat our message is now word for word verbatim. Uh, Like England were bowling like club cricketers who got excited when they're playing on that one ground a year, which has like a bit of bit of pace and carry, where like the ball gets the keeper above his knees, and they get really excited by bowling back of length. Oh, like when when like England or like touring teams go and play Brisbane or the Wacker, where there's more bounce, they get excited. And yeah, it looks good when like Warner's you know playing on the the back foot and it's nipping around, and like all the slips get to go and making weird noises like that. But like it doesn't actually do anything. Like how many balls did England bowl which would have hit the stump? I mean, I can't – I don't understand how, like, international-level cricketers who are so much better, they're so much better than me and, I, and never will be. 
<laughs> How do they not know? Well, let's bowl a few balls. Might hit the fucking stumps for a bit. Let's bring a few dismissals, modes of dismissal into play. You know, bowls, LBWs. You know, Finch was almost LBW early on. They had a review. Would have clipped leg stump. It was like one of the only balls that would have hit the stumps or, or even been near the stumps. The rest of the time it was back of a length. It was. It, it wasn't particularly at the stumps. It was. You know, it gave him width. They bowled short. It's just like. They grew up playing cricket in England. I mean, Joffrey Archer didn't, but but surely you understand that like you need to bowl the other teams out. This might be the problem with the way they've played over the last four years, and just like all their batting exploits and chasing five hundred, and like all the depth in their batting might have been just hiding some. It might have been hiding some flaws in their bowling, where it's just like, well, we'll just bowl fifty overs. You guys get what you want to get, and we'll just chase them down because. I mean, they're bowling yesterday. I how Australia got two eighty five. I can't reiterate enough. And like, maybe it's just overcompensating for saying how good England are. And I'll reiterate, they might win the tournament still. They were crap oh, yesterday, England. The they were in crap. Now. Um, I mean, anyway, the, yeah, the side Maxwell. doesn't seem fit for purpose at the moment. He goes. I mean, that, that's that's all it is really. You talk about the bowling. I think one phenomenon in professional sport is that guys get programmed so much, they get roboticized so much that um, one of the great opportunities you can have as a professional sports team is to introduce the element of surprise. You know, when mm. you ask uh, professional teams or players to have to think or change uh, what they've been programmed to do, then you can find out, you know, who's legitimate. And of, you're right. I mean, the English guys should be able to manage conditions. Uh, especially in terms of bowling tactics, far better than Australians. But, like, it is one-day cricket. They probably didn't legislate that much for, like, a green seamer mm-hmm. at Lords. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably used to bowl – they probably had plans to bowl on length or back of a length to Warner and mm-hmm. Smith to tuck them up on their hip mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, England's had a fascination with, you know, breaking the 150 barrier now through Wood and Archer. So that doesn't scream uh, line and length and nibbling it about when they need to. You know, mm-hmm. the, the great charge against England's side is that while they um, are able to do things no sides can do, it's very rigid and it's very conditional on how the wicket's playing. And so they're praying for sun and flat ones. <laughs> and yeah, I still think they could win the comp if those two things are there. You yeah. Know, let, let, let's, let's pray for more cloud... <laughs> And for and for more grass. Well, mate, if the also if the wickets stay the same as they have been in this tournament, England cannot win the tournament. I mean, mm. I, I think I think they're gone. I think if the wickets are flat. They've they've got the best team for flat wickets. India would rather them as well. But if there's a bit in it, like uh, I mean, you can't argue with the facts. England have already lost three games out of seven this tournament. Like unless the wickets are flat, England cannot and will not win the World Cup. It's it's astonishing, mate. Let, let, let's get into the bowling innings before we speak to um, Barney Rone on the phone. Um, Berendorf, an inspired selection. Um, who needs Josh Hazelwood when you've got Berendorf at the top taking five for, what do you take, five for 44? Stark doing his thing. I mean, just before I get your answer on that, um, I just have to say what a ball Mitchell Stark bowled to Ben Stokes. I mean, that is an absolute peach. Ben Stokes on 89. He's the hope of, of England chasing down the, uh, chasing down the total. Just, just tailed in and smashed into off stump. Mm. What a ball that is, mate! Oh, and a bloke like to a bloke who's on eighty nine oh. uh, midway through the innings as well. We're not talking about at the start where the ball's talking and the batsman's yeah. new or something. So yeah. you know, to, and just I mean, <laughs> you nor I have spent much time. I can guess on uh, eighty nine <laughs> in cricket <laughs> that, ball, that loftier score. But when yeah. you're in. 
it's difficult to be yorked. Yeah. You know, because you've picked up everything, especially someone as good as Ben Stokes. So it speaks to Stark's, um, you know, the, the sizzle with which mm. he was bowling. But, mm. oh, yeah, I thought, you know, Berendorf and Stark, I thought, why have two left armors? You know, you, you sort of lose the variety by having two of them. But, yeah, I mean, that, you know, Berendorf's ball to Vince was just beautiful and set them, you know, really set them on the right track. Uh, he was able to get it moving. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't want to hark back onto England, but, like, why do they. Why did they go back to playing two spinners on that kind of wicket? It was really, it was really strange to me. Like that, it was just a wicket that wanted, that was begging for the ball to be stood upright and hitting the seam consistently. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Australia, look, Australia's bowling performance was excellent, led by those two guys. There was a funny, well, there was a, a tweet I think, or a, a quote from Kevin Peterson saying that uh, Owen Morgan looked scared facing Mitchell Stark, and uh, he was asked about it. In the press conference, the translator called Kevin Peterson Ken Pearson, uh, which is just an aside. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Owen Alfred. Morgan was just sort of really, really sort of droll, just saying, "Oh, did he? Excellent. It's not how it felt." But absolutely uh, champed him. Yeah, champed him. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, a, a, a great bowling innings, and you know, England have England have just done what they've done with a couple of other chases. You know, they've just been bundled out, and and we haven't seen. We've barely seen any sign apart from Stokes of uh, that, you know, the side who's comfortable chasing anything. So I'm not going to rule them out of the tournament but I, because I do think if there's sun and flat ones, then they'll be fine. But all other conditions, are, they're struggling. They've also got Jason Roy to come back as well, who I think is, is crucial for them. But, uh, yeah, England, what happened? They might play Plunkett as well because there's been some chat going around that England haven't lost a game with him in it, um, i.e. he has missed three games and they've lost all three games. Um, mate, just um, just speaking about uh, just the balance of the team, just we, I mean, we've gone a little bit too long here, but um, we'll, we'll speak about um, Stoinis and Lyon. Now, I, I reckon I, I really like the Lyon inclusion, especially against England because he's got a great record against them, especially against Moeen, a couple of left-handers as well. I mean, he bowled really nicely. Uh, what he finished with? Nine overs, number 43. We bowled 28 dot balls in that time as well. I thought actually Adil Rashid was probably the pick of the bowlers in English innings, which is um, says a lot given that he's a wrist spinner and a green seamer. Well, he looked, but he mate, looks injured too. Yeah, he's got a bad shoulder, and that that showed towards the end. But yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah, mate, I, I think like growing up in the era where like of of watching Australia, where you could literally just like pick the team, and then you'd say, well, Andy Bick will be twelfth man, and that was the case for like fifteen years, where it's just like, well, that's that's the team. Now that that'll probably never happen again in our lifetimes, uh, unfortunately. So like, what I'm getting at here is. Australia are carrying Marcus Stoinis at the moment, who did bowl. He did bowl well. You know, seven overs, one for twenty nine. Picked up a huge wicket of Josh Butler. Fantastic catch by Kawaja running around on the boundary. Actually, Australia's fielding and catching was really good yesterday. Anyway, Stoinis' batting is of significant concern because he hasn't looked like scoring a run in about eight months. Um, he's not getting the time of the crease that he might like, but sure. But um, doesn't look good. He's slow to get going. Absolutely. Um, cyanide of himself uh, batting with Steve Smith but it doesn't look like scoring a run but the balance of the team is just better with him in it but I still feel like Australia are massively carrying him when he's batting six yeah thoughts uh, and, and well yeah <laughs> I, I, I guess like the whole spirit of this side though is you know I mean as we know in Australian sport some guys are more equal than others True. And like, <clears throat> Stoinis is so equal 
yeah. No, we love the Australians, to be fair. In the Australian side is the spirit animal of yes. what Australian cricket thinks it is. Nice. In the modern way, and uh, they're going to persist with him, I think, while they, yeah. keep, while they keep winning. And that number six position, they, I just feel like they're so addicted to the... Um, to the way that number six position impacts the balance of the rest of the side as well. Mm. So just by virtue of being someone who can do both, mm. he um, is going to be persisted with. And I suppose, mm. you know, the defence you'd mount for Stoinis is, you know, again, you know, he could... Now that Australia's in the World Cup final against India, um, and, yeah. and that's been decided... That's um, right. ..that they'll, they'll back his death bowling. Mm. So mm. Uh, that's, I think that's why uh, he remains in the side. Mm. Okay, mate, let's get Barney Rone on the phone, uh, Chief Sports Writer from The Guardian, uh, to get his take about what on earth is happening over there in England. Look, to be honest, I don't try and take the piss too much, but the problem is you start to get a little bit bored, so I sort of... I used to hate that. I sort of... uh, I try and do the right thing by the competition, I must admit. When I go there, I try and play conventionally, but realistically, I'm thinking from ball one, I just want to park this fucking thing into the car park. (laughs) But you don't want to come out of it and people say, look at that arsehole Hodgie, you know, so... Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Well, he goes, uh, it's a great pleasure for you and I. Uh, to introduce the next guest. We've never had him on the show before. Um, we'll be secret about our fanboying of him as well and not let him know about it. But uh, we've got Barney Rone uh, joining us. He's fresh from coming from Lords, uh, where he witnessed what happened today. He's the chief sports writer at The Guardian. Uh, he's on the phone. Barney, what uh, did you see at Lords today? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> I've been wondering that on the, on the journey home. Um, I thought Australia were really good. Um, you know, we've been going on and on about how uh, it's a team just built around five good bits and six not-so-good bits. But when those five good bits work really well, uh, it seems like a good plan. And uh, even during that opening partnership, it was a bit slow and, you know, dogged. Uh, you could just feel the game going away from England and feel that one team knew that they were going to win it. And for all England's talk of um, aggression and being so positive and fearless. I thought they looked pretty full of fear today. Uh, and, and, you know, going out there and blazing away, hitting the ball up in the air isn't bright, clever, brash cricket. It's kind of scared cricket. Um, and I thought they were hugely disappointing. And Australia were, were good. It, it will be so easy for Australians, and we will do it, to just explain England's newfound fear um, <laughs> via... Just old, um, haggard cultural tropes. But why are they? Where has this fear come from, Barney? Obviously, just take us into the camp where you know everything. But England have just been impregnable for four years, and now they're playing like the team many of us remember from, you know, the 90s. Uh, What's going on? Well, it's a weird situation, isn't it? I mean, the the ECB has made such a fuss of building up to this World Cup. It's been four years of 
pouring resources into it, pouring uh, the whole emphasis of how how cricket is played and structured into having a a great white ball team. But it's kind of a game of smoke and mirrors as well. Um, Do England deserve to win a World Cup? What would it reflect if England won a World Cup? Is there a great system behind that team producing players? Well, not really. Um, Is the game in a healthy state? Not really. Um, certainly they've encouraged a really skillful group of players to go out and whack the ball but it's kind of a team built around slogans is how I feel a bit like the England football team there's a lot of uh, fluffing and primping of the top end of it and making out there's a whole new culture at work and a brand of cricket but uh, it's not a team with a great deal of depth as you can see uh, now that one of the openers has gone well both the openers have gone missing and we have James James Vincent who doesn't look like a World Cup winning uh, opener um, and they just play one way they've got one gear they've forgotten how to sort of win cricket matches any other way and uh, today they just came up against a better team with more skill um, you know, Mitchell Stark was incredible I mean what, what a bowler he is um, there's, there's no one in the England set up to match him the, the openers just couldn't replicate what he did uh, and I think with England they played a lot of bilateral series on flat pitches smashed the ball around and started to believe their own hype and uh, it's quite fun, in a way, to see them come unstuck, as it is with anyone who seems to be shrouded in hype. <laughs> but I'm just, you sort of touched on the batting there. I'm just going through the batting order. And, like, I'd say apart from Bairstow, who hasn't looked like himself in this tournament, I think he's just got 150, and he got 27 yesterday. But apart from that, there's been a couple of first-ball ducks. Um, but apart from that, I mean, Joe Roots had a good World Cup. Obviously, Owen Morgan got that amazing 150-odd a uh, couple, of, couple of days ago. Ben Stokes seems to be batting okay. Josh Butler probably hasn't quite hit the heights um, that he otherwise has. But none of these guys are necessarily right out of form, and yet in the last two times they've chased, um, they haven't reached 220. So it's, it's kind of hard one to put on because, I mean, it's, it's a good lineup in theory, I suppose, but they're not putting it together, are they? Yeah, it's a weird, it's slightly weird batting lineup. There's something brittle about it. I think they've really missed Jason Roy, who, mm. um, you know, is utterly fearless and will go out there. Today he would have gone out there and uh, probably spanked a quick 60 and hold the chasing. And there's no one of his level to replace him. Mm. Um, but they're also, they don't have, I mean, Joe Root, is really important that he worked against Australia and, and, and that didn't come off. He got brilliant delivery. Mm. Uh, but once you get past him, I suppose there's Bairstow, there's a lot of proper batsmen in there. Um, Owen Morgan looks so uncomfortable facing Stark. Um, he was asked at the press conference afterwards about Kevin Beeson's tweet that he was terrified. Um, and Ali Martin asked him about that. And he, I mean, if his looks could kill. I mean, it was, um, it was a good question, but uh, Morgan, you know, gave it the, uh, gave it the death stare. Uh, but he just looked terribly. He hasn't played a. He played a first class game. Last first class game was in May, and he bats number six or seven for Middlesex. That is not preparation for facing Mitchell Stark on a pitch where he's doing a bit and he's coming down to ninety three miles an hour. And he, there's no way he was going to stick out there. Mm. Um, I just don't think there's a depth of quality or other gears there. I mean, Marion Alley's forgotten how to bat, and uh, mm. they, they were really exposed by some very good bowling. Mm. Barney, um, you, you wrote in a previous piece on football uh, in relation to Manchester United. This isn't a football question. Um, you said after another summer of rebuilding, uh, another summer of rebuilding appears underway at Old Trafford, but attempts to recreate the philosophies and glories of previous eras look doomed to fail. I mean, a counterpoint 
from Australia's point of view is Ricky Ponting on the balcony. I mean, how many runs of wickets is he worth just from an aura and his, historic point of view? Yeah, he's got a great aura. So the, the, the lads are obviously responding to his aura right now. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's a difficult one, isn't it? He's, he's funny, Ponty, isn't he? Because um, he's quite a good TV pundit. I mean, I think he's quite good, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. kind of a student. Stuff. But as a captain, he sort of had this um, reputation for being, certainly in England, for being a bit robotic and basically just give it to McGrath and Warren and and go through the motions. He seems to become inspirational and full of innovation in his in his retirement to the to the commentary box, um, mm. which, which is, is good work if you can get it. Bunny, mm. we've we've heard previously uh, from uh, a number of UK journalists that that Australia and Australians don't quite appreciate Mitchell Stark for the bowler that he is. I think you might have even written your piece on the Guardian this evening um, that you think he's the best bowler in the tournament. Um, I mean, do, do you think that Australians really fully appreciate Stark? Because I, I kind of think, oh, yeah, he opens the bowling. He's a great bowler. And then I'm just thinking of that ball that he bowled to Stokes. It's just an it's unbelievable bit of skill. So uh, do, do you think Stark might be a little bit underrated in Australia? Well, that does seem to be the case. I was sitting next to uh, Jeff Lemon uh, today, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sort of sat there raving about Stark, and Jeff just keeps looking sideways at me saying, yeah, but he had a terrible two years before this. <laughs> <laughs> that is Jeff, to be fair. So, you know, Jeff, give, give, give the guy a break. You know? But I, th- I think it's, um, I mean, it's incredible. He's, what, six foot six? Mm. He's an incredible, swings it both ways. We can, can you imagine the sheer horror of facing him? Mm. Uh, it's, it's a terrifying idea. You can see why coming up through the levels, people would have thought, well, I think we might have one here. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he, he seems to have done... I mean, in white ball cricket, his record's incredible. Mm-hmm. In terms of strike rate, average, fifers, he's as good as anyone there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess we don't see his bad times, mainly because the good times seem to happen against England quite regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Barney, um, if England are a one-gear team who love knocking on the door of 400 and taking the game to, you know, making that bridge between T20 and 50 over cricket and then playing at home, doesn't it just follow that, if they just make flat pitches, they'll win. Why don't they just make flat yeah. wickets? <laughs> We're talking about that today. It's really funny that they've come up with a style. And the one place it doesn't really work um, is in England when it's English conditions. You know, there's, someone's not really thought this through. Um, that, that, that game today, like they'd have won it if they'd had uh, Alistair Cook, Ian Bell, and Jonathan Trott at the top of the order, who were the, the ones we agonised over for years. Um, we seem to have come up with a, with a World Cup that old England might have actually won, and instead we've got all these dashes. You know, Cook could have knocked those off; he'd have got eighty in one hundred and twenty-four. And other than that, it, it's, um, it's a weird piece of self-destruction. Um, but, but yeah, probably we, we could have planned slightly better. Um, bring back old England, Barney. When you were when you were leaving the ground today, as you were hopping on the tube there at St John's Wood, I mean, what's what's the feeling amongst English people? I mean, can can England still win the World Cup? I mean, it's three losses now in, in seven games. You know, teams that have been dejected, failed to chase relatively low scores a couple of times, chasing three times overall. I mean, do do, do the English public still think that yeah, cricket's coming home? Well, I mean, firstly, in my opinion, England shouldn't still be in the World Cup. You shouldn't lose three games out of seven and still be talking about winning a tournament. Mm. It's ridiculous. 
Um, that should have been the end today. If you underachieve that badly and lose twice in a week, you shouldn't still be there. It's, it's a bit absurd, really. Does, does this team deserve to win a World Cup? Well, no, not right now. Um, but it's weird in this country. Um, I mean, you must be well aware of English people bleating on about uh, the game dying back and uh, not being as popular as it once was, mm-hmm. or being popular only among a select group of people. Yeah. And you wander around, and there really isn't World Cup fever on the streets or anything like that. Um, the, the fan, the real fans, will still believe because, um, of course, that's what they do. Yeah. But um, there's also a deep strain of pessimism in all English sport, yeah. despite how it might look from the outside, um, being pricks to lose to and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> the English do kind of love losing. It's far more reassuring and, and easier on everything. And uh, I know I think I think people are probably pretty down about it now. I think we're all like talking about how good Australia are instead and India. We're all uh, we're all employing our coping mechanisms, Barney, until the next thing that happens in cricket, and then we'll just flip towards that. Oh, I still think England are a chance. They've just got to curate two wickets to be flat. Um, thank you so much for coming onto the show, mate. Apologies for the picture that I put up uh, on Twitter, and uh, that was completely well, my mistake. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, sadly, I have to apologise. It's fairly accurate, so uh, <laughs> I'll get, get past that. But, yeah, apology accepted. Very good. Well, uh, on that note, um, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. Uh, see you soon. Cheers, guys. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. An absolute pleasure to speak to Barney Rone there. Um, Pez, we're going to get into hashtag AskTGC in just a second's time. But first, a big announcement. It's a big show, this one, mate. Big announcement. It's a big show. Um, you know, chief writer, uh, chief sports writer of The Guardian on the podcast, guest mm. show announcement, some cracking hashtag RCGCs. Oh, and Australia just defeated English cricket. Um, Long summer. <laughs> no, the thing that's happened right now no. is the thing that'll happen forever. Mm-hmm. Pez live show, the world tour. People know where to get tickets, greatcricket.club. Tickets are selling fast, especially the Australian shows. You should get in, and you should get in real quick because now that we announce the guests, they're going to sell. Both shows are going to sell out. So we've been working hard too on these guests yep. in, in, in the true grade cricket style. Work hard, mm-hmm. never smart, never smart, always hard, always hard. <laughs> but you have a good voice. He goes, drum roll it. Not really, just metaphorically. Okay, and uh, yeah. Let them know who will be joining us. Okay, so we are in Melbourne, July 25th at the Corner Hotel. Our guest for that is Brad Hodge, who is our most listened to podcast ever. Uh, It was a fantastic interview that we had with Brad. He is going to join us on stage at the Corner Hotel, July 25th. Then we go to Sydney. In the the, uh, pitch to him, Mm -hmm. he goes, we, like, you know, it was said to him, you can't deny our chemistry, Hodgey. (laughs) You just can't deny it. And he couldn't. He failed to uh, deny. Which is, why he's, which is why he's coming along. Brad Hodge and TJC. It's, it's, there's some chemistry there. I don't know what it okay, is. Okay, another fantastic guest that we've had over the years to Sydney at the Comedy Store on July 31st. Tickets are almost gone for this one, so you want to get in quick. 
It's Steve O'Keefe who will be joining us live on stage. Sock is going to be joining Sock. us. Socky boy, uh, mostly speaking condescendingly about himself and not being able to spin the ball, etc., etc. That's huge and true. So Brad Hodge and Steve O'Keefe will be joining us on stage in Melbourne and Sydney. Then, Pez, then we're heading over to the UK, as you know, for the next leg of our world tour. It's really only two legs. <clears throat> um, where are we first? We're at Birmingham. We're at Birmingham first. And joining us on stage is, well, it's actually quite a few joining us on stage. Uh, Gideon Hay and Pete Lawler are joining us on stage. And also Merv Hughes will be joining us at the Birmingham show. All tickets, greycricketer.club for all of these shows. That's fantastic stuff. Not many left there either. Uh, that's a good point, actually. That's a good point. Those are going real quick, too. Um, where do we go next, Piz? Uh, we go to oh, yeah, Leeds. Oh, yeah, we go to Leeds. The 6th of we August. go to Leeds. We're going north. This, this one might be the one I'm most excited about. Um, so we're going to Leeds, and um, we've got Tim Bresnan uh, coming on stage, um, which is just f- fucking awesome. <laughs> mm. uh, hometown hero, hero. He's got a couple of days off in between T20 games That's when the T20 blast is happening Tim Breslin on stage in Leeds That is going to be so cool I am looking forward to that um, mm. the most I think um, Manchester and London shows We're going to tease those out a little bit more But for the I mean we might as well announce The, 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 uh, the guests for the Sold out, for the London, sold out show. London show. Uh, we've sold it out before yeah. we even announced the guest, which is now just a waste. So, just to be clear, yeah, this is the 13th. Of That's August. right. This is Tuesday, 13th of August, the night before the Lord's Test. This is the show that sold out in a mm-hmm. day. Um, and you lucky people out there are getting to see the great cricket and by themselves. But we've also decided to bring along Jason Gillespie. Uh, that which is which is a, a pretty good get. I think you'll be pleased that you you snapped up those tickets in a day because Jason Gillespie will join us on stage. There are tickets available for the night before, the Monday night, the twelfth, August twelfth. Those tickets are still available. That is going to sell out as well. So get your tickets in quick. We, as I said, we're going to tease out the uh, the guests for Manchester and the the first London show as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. So to recap, Brad Hodge, Melbourne, Steve O'Keefe in Sydney, Merv Hughes, Gideon Hay, Pete Lawler in Birmingham. Tim Bresnan in Leeds, Jason Gillespie for those people who snapped up the tickets in a day at uh, Leicester Square Theatre for August 13th in London. Um, all tickets, gradecricketer.club. You know what, again, come along. They're, they're fantastic nights. They're really good fun. It's a comedy night out. You know, bring the boys, bring the girls, and uh, just get around the boys, you know? Mm. There needs to be more getting around as, the boys. As, yeah, follow your own feedback to us <laughs> just to get around the boys. <laughs> Practice what you preach uh, and get around us. I, and Jason Gillespie, Bresnan, Gideon Hay, Pete Lawler, Murphys, and uh, Brad Hodge and Steve O'Keefe. Yeah. It's not bad, is it, mate? It's not bad. It's not um, bad. It's not bad. Okay, Pez, hashtag ICGC. This one is an absolute belt, and it comes in from Tim Spaulding, and um, I fast-tracked this one to get it on today's show, and I'm really glad that England lost, not Australia won, that England lost, because this fits right into the theme. Hello, lads, huge fan of the show, says Tim Spaulding, despite being English and despite what I'm about to say. This is more of a tell TGC rather than an ask TGC. Apologies. After listening to how much pleasure you all derive from England losing to Sri Lanka and the sweaty ways that it manifested itself, I'm reminded of what Pezza, my favourite character, said a few weeks back about Catch-22s. I am here to inform you 
that you don't want what you think you want. You think you want England, the most hyped, most talked about, most deserving team to humiliatingly fail in a semi-final in front of the eyes of the world, a theatrical display of decolonisation. You want to watch from the other side of the world, frothing like we did when your team got done for cheating. You, want, <laughs> you think you want to luxuriate in the bitter humiliation and fury that will be felt by all English cricket fans, but you're wrong. This is what we want As a podcast that dissects the psychology behind the culture of Australian cricket fandom, I'm afraid you have failed to correctly diagnose the psychology of England fans. We want the hype. We love it. But nowhere near as much as we want the crushing failure. The excuse to fucking hate our team, to blame them for more things than even makes sense, to lodge contradictory complaints. It gives us something to talk to strangers about, legitimises the hatred we feel towards ourselves and our country. The only thing that makes the soulless journey to a horrible job on a packed shoe bearable is being able to read a posh journalist fucking tear your, your team apart, no longer keeping a professional emotional distance, unable to disguise their glee at spilling their white hot fury at James Vince scoring gorgeous 20s. We want James Vince to feel like shit. We want the whole team to feel like shit because they're all so much more talented than we are. We want them to be humiliated for having the talent to make a living just playing a sport in the sun and making loads of money. How dare they be able to do what we all dream of and not us? Why can only they be happy? And you Aussies, ha! I feel sorry for you. For a brief drunken few weeks last summer, England was sun-drenched, our national football team were 1-0 up in a World Cup semi-final, everything was delirious and surreal. I briefly entertained the feeling of seeing England win the World Cup, and it sickened me. I couldn't stomach the fact that watching 24-year-old Harry Kane lifting the World Cup would be the best moment of my life. That is horrendous. Having never supported a team who has won a major cup, I can only imagine the awful feeling of trying to claim 11 people's talents and achievements as your own. It must be a stark and brutal revelation of your own inadequacy. I desperately hope England get through to the semi-final, preferably the one I'm going to, Edgebaston, and then get knocked out to a hideous Australian team, snarling and screaming in our faces at we're the first team in ODI history to lose by an innings and 250 runs, so I can sit alone in the crowd afterwards, angrily think about England's cricket team's failings rather than my own. Then I will listen to your podcast, fucking stick it into England as you brush aside the bubbling feeling in your throats that Australia winning their sixth World Cup just makes you all realise how you'll never achieve what you want. Here goes... The most insecure member of the group will get drunk the fastest that night and make a lonely pass at Pezza, once again, my favourite character. Pezza will politely decline, then rip out a zinger because he's fucking Pezza and a stand-up bloke, role model, and probably the dad I'd choose. I will enjoy you giggling and laughing in England because I know what the laughter is hiding. (laughs) Um... Well, he was mean to me, so fuck you, Tim. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. That's uh, that's that's one of that's a hall of famer. That's that's a hall of famer. Tell TGC not a segment we're starting. Please, just you know, just, just you know, it's already started. Yeah, it probably has started. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. We've opened the doors. So that's what England want. Um, is he right, Sam? Oh, I mean, that's that's kind of Freud and Orwell. Yeah. Rolled into one, yeah. isn't it? You actually want your team to lose so you can feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a good characterization, as far as I've observed, mm-hmm. of uh, of the deep psychology behind England's sporting failures. Mm-hmm. So I don't even, you know, all I can do is applaud 
Uh, and of course, I would applaud because it's extremely, almost um, suspiciously praiseworthy of me, um, which is not something that happens mm. very often. You've had a lot of burner it's accounts, fast. I've realised, over the last couple of podcasts. It's a burner account. Yeah. It's, um, Dad, you don't have to write in anymore. Um, it's all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, as for you making a lonely pass at me, well, you know, you're presumptuous, Tim. Uh, these goes after all. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm stumped, really. It's, I'm lost for yeah. words. It's a, it's a great post. Yeah. I love it. Any more, if there's any more, uh, you know, even professional, I mean, the amount of people who've been writing in lately, he goes and saying, bring Dr. Happy yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are requesting psychological yeah. help <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to be clear, as a disclaimer, if you need psychological help, go and get it. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely. Um, but if you're happy to operate on the comical plane just below that, uh, then please keep writing in your psychological dissertations on English cricket and psychology mm. in general. We've, we've unfortunately got a full set um, for the live show, for the Birmingham live show, but um, it would have been good to have Tim on stage to um, I would have thought uh, so. replace one of us, probably me. Um, well, um, I mean, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that, obviously. Sure, but, yeah, uh, thanks. We did have, a, at one of, at our first live show in Adelaide, somebody asked a question and then end up just walking on stage to ask the question um, because they were doing demonstrations of the yeah. way their mum got them out playing cricket. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, uh, in front of Ed Cowan. Yeah. So there's still a chance, yeah. Tim, if you come to the show. Yeah. All right, um, William Stephen <clears throat> writes in. He says, hi, Choppers. I lost my virginity under the covers at my club in a legendary story. Since then, I have been known around the club as the Chop King, which is obviously a huge nickname to burden. However, here comes my dilemma. Ever since my crowning glory, I'm yet to convert on a social with the boys, which I feel is starting to raise questions with regards to the validity of my story and may result in me losing the title of Chop King, which is definitely not deserved. So in order to validate myself, should I A, focus on improving my cricket, hoping I will up my average, which is currently sitting at 19.23, in the hope this will attract more females, B, go to the gym, which in turn will of course improve my strike rate, which is currently sitting at 74.66, in the hope my striking prowess will attract the females, or C, quick cricket and get a life, which doesn't revolve around meaningless stats in the hope a girl may like me for who I really am. Surely this isn't actually possible. Thanks for your help. And maybe one day I may feel confident when people refer to me as Chopper Thoughts. Uh, I like this because he's had the Chop King nickname bestowed upon yeah. him. And he's actually had the courage to write in, firstly, not anonymously. His name is William I thought Steve. that as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the courage to say, I'm not sure I'm worthy of the title. Mm. Uh, and then go on to say... But one of the options he'd like to pursue is simply leaving the game of cricket and um, finding a girl who likes him for who mm-hmm. he is. Uh, that's, fair. that's That's full circle. <clears throat> what I want to pick up on is how many people, as we've travelled across Australia, are keen to tell us stories about sexual exploits in and around the cricket wicket of their home ground or <laughs> the covers. I know. It's... <laughs> So because there, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of people at our live when we do live shows or even just writing to us who are keen to tell us stories about things that they do under the covers or on the fucking square. Um, sexually. Um, mate, could not agree more. 
like the guy, the guy who wrote about Mark Rampakash playing in his team last week wanted to remain anonymous, and William Stephen is. He's just He's happy about this He's just Yeah I, I literally Is a cry for help He doesn't want The Chop King I mean he must be A real He must be A, a really good looking Bloke to like Have the security And strength to be called Chop King and just question whether he needs to own. I mean, he's he's the Chop King without even. Wanting yeah, mate, he's the most normal person that's um, that's probably written into yeah. uh, hashtag yeah. ICGC. Um, he doesn't he doesn't want he doesn't want the title Chop King. I mean, you, you have to you have to want it. It becomes your identity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you can have very little else going on, but being the Chop King is your thing. You have to embrace it wholly, and so you. you you know, if you have a cerebral thought about, you know, maybe this isn't the right thing for me in my life, well, then that's not the role of the chop. The chop king is purely to rack up as many sexual conquests as possible, solely for the benefit of fitting in with the boys in the stretching circle. Now, as you rightly say, Pez, there was way too, there's way too many sexual exploits happening on cricket squares. I don't know why that's a thing. Um, you know, I've I've got my own stories about that. Not me personally, just 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 you know, being around it, seeing it happen over the years. I, I <laughs> I've, just been, I've just been around, uh, mate. Uh, yeah. uh, I tell you a story. There was like a a lock in at my club. This was probably close to fifteen years ago now. One of the guys organised um, a stripper. Uh, so this was like in the first grade home dressing room, and um, all boys, obviously nothing. Nothing more homoerotic than just all boys just locking themselves into a club dressing room, drinking the fridges dry, and then organising a stripper to come round to entertain the boys. Um, I saw some really horrible things that I lost a lot of respect for that night. Um, but then the guy who organised the stripper um, then had sex with her um, underneath the covers of the first grade square. Um, so that's what it was like playing grade cricket in the early 2000s. <clears throat> Um, good stuff. So yeah, mate, it's just it's all it's it's all good stuff. Uh, William, you know the answer. The answer's right there in front of you. Um, you know, it's a bit of C, it's a bit of B. Uh, quick cricket, get massive uh, is is obviously the go to thing. I don't know how many times I need to never heard of someone who wants to get out of being the chop king, and I applaud it. Well, I don't greatly. know how old he is. Okay, um, but but I yeah, mean, it's a, he's, well, he's wise beyond his years. Yeah. Even if he was, I'm 80. still in it. Uh, ben Ben Van Zelst writes in. Sounds like a Real name yeah. too. Um, dear hashtag ask TGC, I successfully convinced my housemate to commit to playing cricket with me next season in an attempt to ruin his life. After inviting him to come watch a couple of games and have a few nets with me last season, he was very keen and purchased all the gear in preparation for season 2019-20. But after listening to your podcast and hearing of some of the goings-on inside the four walls of a cricket club, he's now unsure. In particular, recent episodes about getting pissed on in the shower and the general idea of getting his cock out in front of the boys has made him question his decision. With the aim of dragging him down to my level of misery during the summer and filling the lonely void in the pit of my stomach, I simply cannot let him back down. So I ask, do I? <laughs> Promise him a Hail Mary contract that the club simply wouldn't pay to a bloke who hasn't played since under-13s. Walk in on him in the shower and urinate on his leg to show him that it's not that bad. Quit cricket and live out my life knowing that I never accumulated the coveted triple C. Thanks, guys, Ben. Well, I mean, there's like zero point one percent of the population who's ever done the triple C, so there's there's no harm in being part of the you know ninety nine point nine percent of the population there. Um, why would you Why would you bring your friends to play cricket? I mean, this is this is not dissimilar to Tim's question, like bringing other people down with you to make yourself feel better. Um, ben, I, I love the energy of wanting to get out there and you know you know engage in the community, but unfortunately, this is Australian grade cricket, and that's just not what you do. It, it's it's all about alpha 
for them. It's a making yourself feel better to, to feel those lonely nights, to have purpose, to find purpose in your days. And that's why people play cricket way too long. Um, I don't know why you hate your, your housemate that much. Maybe there's like some, you know, an issue going on with leaving the fridge doors open, cupboards open, not washing up, not taking the bins out. Maybe this is like payback redemption to, to get him back, really fuck him over by making pay like 600 bucks to play cricket, um, drive you around the state and to average, uh, you know, 7.36. I don't know. Um, I, I think you'd all be happy if you chose a different pursuit, but um, yeah, good luck for the up- upcoming season. I've nothing further to add, Mr. Speaker. That's another great cricket episode in the books. We'll be back on Friday morning, Australia time, Thursday night, UK time, to um, to probably dissect uh, what exactly happens uh, in this game as we think about it more. Um, the World Cup is uh, it's just getting crazier and crazier, and Australia, well, they're going to win the World Cup again. See you next time. <laughs>